Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Greetings, and welcome to What Happened to That Guy, a new Ravens podcast about former players and life after football. I'm your host, John Eisenberg. You may have read my columns on the team's digital outlets, the website, the app. I've been writing there for almost a decade. Before that, I wrote for the Baltimore Sun for 24 years. I've also written 10 books of sports history on baseball, horse racing, pro football, Over the years, through my books and daily journalism, I've been fortunate to interview a host of retired football stars. Guys like Johnny Unitas, Bart Starr, Jim Parker, Roger Staubach, Artie Donovan, and many others. They're legends whose time of on-field glory had long faded by the time I sat down with them. But it was still fascinating to spend time with them. I'll give you an example. I spoke to Bob Lilly one of the greatest defensive tackles in NFL history. He played for the Dallas Cowboys in the 1960s and 70s. If you haven't heard of him, I'd suggest Googling him. A violent player named after a flower. Lilly drove quarterbacks into the turf for years. But after football, he became, of all things, a landscape photographer. I spent a day with him driving around the sparse plains of West Texas as he snapped pictures of gorgeous vistas. Here's another example, Jim Taylor. You've probably heard of him, Vince Lombardi's legendary Hall of Fame fullback. He died fairly recently, but I once spent an afternoon with him that I'll never forget. We were talking about the fabled Green Bay Packers sweep, the simple running play that the Packers rode to glory. Taylor was probably 70 by now, and he'd had a stroke, but he was still fit, impressively fit. His muscles bulged through his white t-shirt as we spoke. Well, he got so excited talking about the sweep that he decided to try to recreate it right then and there in the middle of our interview. He jumped out of his chair, pulled me up, took me by the shoulders, and positioned me right in front of him. Then he lowered his shoulder into me. Jim Taylor, man, he hadn't played in 40 years. He'd spent his post-football life in business in his native Louisiana. But he was still so intense and so competitive that he wanted to block me. Former players fascinate me. We cheer for them when they're young men, and then they disappear from our lives when they stop playing. Only, they're still young, usually in their 30s, with decades of life ahead. I don't know about you, but I'm a curious person. I can't help wondering, how did their lives proceed after football? These people we cared about so much at one point. What did they do? Were they happy or sad? 
rich or poor? What happened to that guy? That's what I'm going to explore in this podcast. The eternal mystery of what happens to players, former Ravens in this case, guys from different eras in the team's history. What happens to them when the cheering stops and suddenly they're exposed to the same real-world issues that the rest of us deal with? Balancing their checkbooks, staying healthy, supporting their families, finding something to do in life. It's a vulnerable time for most of them, a period of contemplation and adjustment. Some are ready for it, but a lot aren't. I'm going to devote this first episode to a player you probably remember, Jermaine Lewis, the star receiver and kick returner from the Ravens' early years, one of the team's most popular players in his day. I'm starting with him because he was so honest with me in recounting why he wasn't ready for life after football and what happened to him. My whole story with after I play is just that's almost a book at this point because (laughs) things that I went through and the lessons I learned. What's the single best moment in Ravens history? We could debate that for hours, but one of the top three or four, no question, is Jermaine Lewis's kickoff return for a touchdown in Super Bowl 35. If you're old enough to remember it, I'm sure you agree. January 31st, 2001, Tampa, Florida. A pick six gave the Ravens a 17-0 lead in the third quarter. The football world was beginning to accept the idea that this young franchise from Baltimore was going all the way. But the Giants ran the ensuing kickoff back for a touchdown, the kind of freak play that could start a rally. Would there be a comeback? Stranger things have happened. Everyone wondered if it suddenly was game on in the Super Bowl as the Giants kicked off. Deloiso, good foot into this one. Or kicked it full, not real good, though. 16-yard line, Jermaine Lewis. Jermaine was a local kid made good. From a tough background in Prince George's County, he'd gone to the University of Maryland and on to the Ravens. Baltimore fans loved him like few others on the team. He was a turp and a little guy in a big man's game. A quick, darting receiver who caught passes in the slot and excelled as a kick returner. 25-30. J. Lou kicks it outside. He's at the 40. 45. He's at midfield. Down the far sideline. Still on his feet. He's going all the way. All right. Jermaine Lewis goes all the way. Oh, my God. He took that kickoff all the way back for a touchdown, starting in the middle of the field and ending up in a sprint down the sideline, right in front of head coach Brian Billick and the entire Ravens bench. Years later, Billick still smiles when he talks about it. I don't have a lot of memorabilia, but one of my fondest pictures is in the Super Bowl of Jermaine running down the sideline on that kickoff return. And I'm in behind him, reacting the way you can imagine. Go Twins! Yeah! 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 Him looking up at the scoreboard, which he would do a lot, because he used that to see, well, who's behind me? (laughs) which I always thought was very unique because he told me, yeah, coach, I'm not just looking at myself. But that's one of the pictures that I treasure because it's sitting in my office. And you're right. When they finally had that breath of life and had the kickoff return for a touchdown, whatever faint hope they had, you knew emotionally when Jermaine goes the length of the field, at that point, the game was over. Back to back. Yeah. No doubt about it. The game was over. The Ravens were going to win the Super Bowl. Jermaine Lewis had delivered the knockout blow. Oh, 84 yards for number 84. 
There was bedlam everywhere when Jermaine ran that kickback all the way. On the sidelines, in the stands, throughout Baltimore, and anywhere that people cheered for the Ravens. Jermaine himself was over the moon excited to produce such a big play. But amid his excitement were the first stirrings of the problems that would cause him to struggle after he was through playing football. Weeks before the Super Bowl, his wife had delivered a stillborn child. That took a big toll on me. I mean, huge toll. So much of the memory of Jermaine goes back to that Super Bowl year, the impact he had, us living through the tragic loss of a child that affected everybody on this team, everybody in the community, and dealing with that yet at a time when obviously we had the unparalleled success of the Super Bowl, and he was such a big part of it. On the field in Tampa, Jermaine spoke out loud to his late son, whom he'd named Geronimo, as he ran that kickback. A year later, the Ravens let him go in an expansion draft. It was a shock and a bummer. He was at the Pro Bowl when he got the news, but he had no choice but to move on. He spent an unsatisfying year with the Houston Texans, got cut, spent two years with the Jacksonville Jaguars. By 2004, his life was a disaster waiting to happen. He estimates now that he suffered one or two concussions per season in the NFL, and he played nine seasons, so that's at least a dozen concussions, perhaps as many as 18. Most were attributable to the fact that his number one job was returning kickoffs, a part of the game so violent that the NFL has since enacted numerous rules trying to make it safer. Lewis's job was to catch a kick and hurtle forward straight into the teeth of a coverage unit comprised of 240-pound athletic freaks bearing down on him at top speed. The coaches would decide beforehand whether he ran left, right, or up the middle By 2004, Jermaine dreaded hearing them call middle return, where the roughest of those collisions occurred. It was too violent. These are collisions. I kept telling my wife, he keep calling middle. It just became real bad. The effects of all the concussions overwhelmed him toward the end of the 2004 season. During one of the last games, I had got knocked out. Then I tried to come to work. I couldn't sit in the meeting rooms. I was having, like, claustrophobia. I just couldn't even watch the game. It's like I watched it, but I can't see it. That's when I was like, I'm done. The Jets wanted to sign him. He turned them down. Suddenly, he couldn't stand the idea of playing football. He was 30, just three years removed from his moment of stardom in Super Bowl 35. When he looks back now, Jermaine can see where he went wrong. As he played football at Maryland and in the NFL, he gave no thought to what he might do after he was through with the game. He was young and rich and famous. He didn't worry about the future. I knew that it was coming as far as the end of football, but I really didn't have a solid plan of, you know, which direction I was going to go to. You think you'll figure something out. Because I really put all my focus in on football. That was a mistake. Just knowing the age that I am now, I haven't played football maybe 15 years. You got to have something that's going to occupy your time or something that you can start a second career at. No, that's where I got to the game late. Ryan Billick isn't sure that it helped that Jermaine was local, surrounded by friends who'd watched him grow up and become a star, a wealthy star. Frankly, it might have been in Jermaine's best interest to have maybe gone someplace else initially to get away from this environment. Sometimes when you're a young man and grow up in a certain situation, that can follow you, particularly when you become a high-profiled athlete in the local ball club. That's hard to separate. That takes a certain amount of maturity that I think Jermaine had to kind of work his way through. So, no plan, too many concussions, maturity issues, 
And one more problem. What happened was alcohol. You know, I had developed a drinking problem after I started playing. I was injured. Doing the kick returns and punt returns, it became collisions at the end of my career. When I got to Houston and I got to Jacksonville, they were calling middle returns. I was just getting rocked. He turned to alcohol to soothe his pain and agitation. After his time in Jacksonville, he moved back home to his place in Owings Mills, near the Ravens facility, where he lived with his wife and their son. They had two more sons. Jermaine had plenty of money, all the time in the world, to start a new life. But he couldn't focus on anything, and he drifted. Weeks went by, months, when all he did was in the day drinking. I wanted to coach, but then I didn't like football because I was getting hit. But I didn't like football. Now, now what do I do? I just had this gap in my life from what I'm going to do from the time I ended playing till now. It wasn't clear. I was just off. It's like having a bad knee. If you got an injured knee, you're going to limp. You got an injured brain, you're going to have a catastrophic situation in your life. You're making poor decision after poor decision, and you don't know why. Then you might, <laughs> you might wake up and forget, you know, what happened. Just It just wasn't good. It all played out in private until he drove his car into a sign in front of a volunteer fire department, and the police arrested him for leaving the scene and resisting arrest. He was drunk. A tipster had spotted his car weaving, called the police, and alerted them, saying, he's going to kill someone. Jermaine's mugshot ran in newspapers around Maryland, shocking the fans who remembered his Super Bowl touchdown. I had two DUIs. Everything just became public because I'm from Maryland, and everything I do is magnified. So that's when I was like, ah, I got some issues. (laughs) He'd been popular with his teammates throughout his career, his deep voice and booming laugh, a constant presence in the locker room. But he no longer wanted to be around his former teammates, or anyone else for that matter. The thing about when you're alcoholic, I isolated myself. I wasn't out partying, and I had just started being isolated. Just give me that bottle. This is doing a dark thing. Just give me that bottle for the day, and I was pretty happy. He got divorced, but his now ex-wife remained in his life and worried about him, really worried. He'd stop watching football entirely because of the bad memories it dredged up. He'd get headaches just seeing a game on TV. Sensing that the father of her kids was headed for a bad ending, his ex-wife intervened and convinced him to enter a treatment program called After the Impact. It's located in Michigan, on a bucolic rural campus outside Detroit. The program is for veterans, first responders, athletes, anyone dealing with health or behavioral issues stemming from post-concussion stress or post-traumatic stress. Jermaine landed in a group with other former NFL players and several military veterans. We talked about brain issues because the Army guys were having a lot of brain issues, you know, weird behavior I can identify with some of the head situations. And then it felt like I wasn't alone. When I found out other people had these things going on with them, they were hearing explosions and they had, you know, friends die next to them. I didn't have that. You know, it woke me up. His 30-day treatment program included group therapy sessions aimed at regaining focus and, of course, abstaining from alcohol. As it ended, the group attended an NBA game in Detroit. There were waitresses taking drink orders, and Jermaine raised his hand and ordered one. A former NFL player in his group gave him a look he'll never forget. I was like, ah, give me a double on the double. But my friend that was in there with me, he looked me in the eye, he shook his head. That's the last time I ever ordered a drink. That was like three and a half years. Just the, the look that he had on his face. 
Because he'd been tempted to drink, he decided to stay in Michigan for another 30 days. The counselors told him to start writing goals down in a book, small goals he could attain, daily chores, to give him a sense of accomplishment and the feeling that he was reestablishing control of his life. He started working out again, so he felt better physically. After spending 60 days in Michigan, he returned to Maryland in early 2016. He was sober and felt better, but he still didn't have a job or a plan. Knowing that could lead to trouble, he phoned a football coach he knew at St. Francis, a Catholic high school in downtown Baltimore that was developing a nationally ranked football team. One thing led to another, and Lewis was hired to coach the wide receivers. Fulfilling his duties wasn't easy. He could handle the football part, telling young receivers how to get open and use their bodies and hands. That came naturally. The problem was he couldn't drive. He'd lost his license because of his DUIs. For a while, he took cabs to practice. But his son was on the JV, and Jermaine worried that his son's friends would laugh at the assistant coach slash dad who came to practice in a cab. For a time, Jermaine and his son stayed at a nearby hotel and just walked to practice. Eventually, he got his license back, but one of the stipulations was his car now had a breathalyzer attached to the starter. Jermaine had to blow clean before the car would start. Yeah, out in the real world, stuff like that happens. <laughs> when you play football and stuff, a lot of stuff, I don't know what happens. It gets taken care of. When you're an adult, you, you make poor decisions. You got to deal with some of these consequences. His turnaround continued. The Ravens called and asked him to announce a draft pick, which put him back in the public eye, only in a better light. From the University of Maryland, wide receiver Jermaine Lewis. With the 47th pick in the 2017 NFL Draft, the Baltimore Ravens select Tyus Bowser, linebacker, Houston. He approached his former college teammate, Kevin Plank, and asked about working at Under Armour. That led to a job in customer service, an office job, not exactly his cup of tea, but a great sign that Jermaine finally was getting his life together. Once he was at Under Armour, he discovered that the company staged a series of all-star camps for high school football players around the country. He got involved. This year, the camp circuit consisted of 10 stops from coast to coast. Jermaine worked them all. So now I'm doing camps. I'm working at Under Armour, coaching. It's like I just hit every goal. I still deal with the concussion situation, but I was just working around it. I try not to look back. It's like Sodom and Gomorrah behind me. I don't look back at the past. I always try to look forward. You know, I'm happy to be alive. The little things make me happy, man. I was stressing. I didn't know what I was going to do. These days, he lives by a lesson that the football coaches at St. Francis teach their players. A leader does for others, they say. And I had to take that to my family. I'm going to just do for my family. Instead of other people watching my money, I, I watch it myself now. They say, make your money work for you. So that's what I'm doing. I still got annuity money. I haven't touched my retirement yet. Hopefully it won't happen. But I just do small things, more hands-on, me taking care of me and my family. That's the bottom line, you know, getting the Lewis's through the finish line. His family and friends knew he was feeling better when he started going to Ravens games again. There's an alumni group, former players who get together to watch in a box. Jermaine spends the day with them and comes home smiling. These days, a lot of things make him smile. I planted like a thousand dollars worth of flowers the other day just because it made me happy. I was like, I'm going to make it look like Pimlico out here. We're going to have flowers everywhere come spring. You know, <laughs> I did, and I was happy doing it. I appreciate now that hard time I went through because I look at life 
totally different, man. There's so much positive things that I have going on. And then just look at my family, my boys. Direction was missing. If it's not pointed in the right direction, you know, it's not going to turn out well. Until recently, Jermaine never would have agreed to talk about life after football on a podcast. But it's a better story now, one he doesn't mind telling. God is good. That's if, if you know, people listening, you know, things can't change. There's always hope. As a matter of fact, he wants to tell the story, get the word out. He knows there are going to be other retired NFL players facing the same struggles that he did. But when you got a lot of money like that through your 20s, can't process how much life you still got to live. Some of them going to learn the hard way, but they'll come through. Strong enough, you'll come through. There you have it. The first episode of What Happened to That Guy. I want to thank Jermaine for telling his story so honestly and vividly. The next episode will focus on one of the greatest players ever to suit up for the Ravens, Peter Bullware, the linebacker and pass rusher deluxe, who was among the first enshrinees in the team's ring of honor. He's moved on from football and has quite a tale to tell. That episode will be available in two weeks. And after that, new episodes will continue to drop every other week throughout the 2019 season. You're going to find out what happened to guys like Kyle Bowler, the quarterback who was handed the keys to the Ravens offense more than 15 years ago. And Matt Burke, the center on the 2012 Super Bowl team. I don't want to give away the store here, but Burke is now a stand-up comedian. Anyway, I hope you find all the stories interesting and keep coming back for more. There will be additional information online about each of the former players I'm featuring at BaltimoreRavens.com slash what happened to that guy. You can go there now for details about some of the amazing franchise punt return records that Jermaine Lewis still holds. I'm John Eisenberg. Thanks for listening to What Happened to That Guy. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details.